Thanks for joining us this morning in person or on Facebook Live. If you're watching us live or if you watch us later in the week, thanks for being with us. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. We've been going through a series through the fall on the attributes of God, helping us just to anchor um, in who the God is. A.W. Tozer, the quote we've been kind of basing it off of, says, The man who comes to a right, or woman who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. And helping us see who God is and have the right uh, understanding of who God is and how that understanding of God helps us. And this morning, we are going to look at God is sovereign. And 1 Chronicles 29 is David, at the, towards the end of his life, when he's, when he's stored things up so that Solomon could build God's temple, and David prays in the assembly. And 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 through 13 says this, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O our God, and praise your glorious name. And Romans 11.36 says, For him, for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thanks just for your goodness to us. Lord, thanks for who you are, that you are God. That everything that we've looked back at in the last few weeks is true. You are infinite. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You're everywhere present. And that you're good. So God, I pray this morning as we look at your sovereignty that you would encourage us. Holy Spirit, we pray you would teach us. You would help us. You would comfort us. And you would strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God is sovereign. God rules. And God has all rights to rule. He reigns over you, and he reigns over all of his creation. He, he has the ability and the right to do that. We don't like rules, though, and authority. We, we don't like to be ruled over. Um, even recently, in just this past week, the Guardian newspaper put an article about that people are rejecting the Queen of England's uh, awards. People don't uh, believe in the empire anymore. The empire of, Rome does, or of Britain doesn't exist anymore. And so they're saying, we, we don't need to come for these these trinkets, we, we don't want them. And people are rejecting that. They don't like the idea of an empire. They don't like the idea of a king or a queen, and they're starting to reject it. God is sovereign. He is king. He is the, the ruler. That's how the Bible describes him. And what we need to remember with that is there is a purpose and a plan that God is taking the world to. That helps us. He is a God that rules and a God that reigns, 
but he's guiding this world to a purpose and a plan. But this idea that God is sovereign and that God rules, it's not popular. It's not popular in our culture. It's not popular sometimes with us personally. We want to rule our own kingdoms. We want to be kings of our own lives and queens of our own lives. J.B. Phillips, a number of years ago, wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And if your God is too small, you will reject the idea that God is sovereign. You will reject it because you'll look at your life, you'll look at the confusion, the frustrations, the problems, and say, no, there, there is nobody ruling and reigning over this. I've got to do this by myself if the, your God is too small. But the God of the Bible is not small. He doesn't paint himself as small. He doesn't reveal himself as small. We need to have a right view of God. Naaman 1.3 says this, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. The picture that God reveals himself in Scripture is a very big God who is sovereign. And that God is sovereign is humbling to us. It's helpful to us. It's hard for us to grasp, but it's also hope-filled. When I was 19 years old, I stumbled across a book by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God. It wasn't a very exciting book. I don't even know why I, read, why I even picked it up. I just remember when I was 19 that, that I was going through some troubling situations things I didn't understand, and somehow I ended up picking up this book, Trusting God When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. And in that book, as I was reading it along, the idea of the sovereignty of God for the first time probably in my life really gripped me, really grabbed me, and it changed, even all these years later, the trajectory of my life and the trust that I have in God. It's when I first started realizing that this fact, that God is sovereign, that God rules, is unbelievably helpful, even though it's hard to fully understand, but it's absolutely hope-filled. God is sovereign, which means God rules. The, word, the mention of God being the sovereign Lord is mentioned over 300 times in Scriptures. A number of definitions that people have given for the sovereignty of God is the sovereignty of God is the fact that he is Lord over creation. As sovereign, he exercises his rule. God's sovereignty asserts that there are no limits on his ability to act. And Brian Bill said it this way, God's sovereignty means that he is absolutely free to do as he pleases and to demonstrate his absolute control over the actions of all his creatures. Or to put it another way, he permits, for reason known only to himself, for people to act contrary to his revealed will, but he never allows them to act against his sovereign will. Scripture describes this over and over again. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Lamentations 3.37 says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? 
And Job, who we looked at a number of times this fall over and over again at the end, after all he went through, after all the suffering, after all the struggling, when he got a big view of God, said this, I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Over and over in scripture, hundreds of times, the Bible describes that God is the ruler and the reigner and sovereign over the world and over the universe. It's, it's depicted this way at the beginning as God is the sovereign over creation. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. Romans 1 talks about how God made the earth and it gives us no excuse not to see the greatness of God. And Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. Psalms 103 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. The reason that God is sovereign, has the right to be sovereign, is because he is the creator, owner of the universe. If you chop, chop a tree down, and you dig it out and carve it up into a canoe, everybody's going to know that's your canoe because you created it, you formed it, you made it. And if you decide to crush that canoe, no one's going to argue with you because that's your canoe. This is how God is over creation. He owns it, creates it, he reigns over it. He, He is sovereign over his creation. He's sovereign also over us coming to him. In Ephesians 1 Chapter, verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is, God is sovereign over his creation and everything about it. He's cr- sovereign over people coming to him. He's sovereign over even casual things that don't seem to matter. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 at 30, 31, it says, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered, for fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Even things that we don't think much about, the sparrows that are flying around, the land on our houses and on our trees, God knows all about them, and he cares for them. He knows how many hairs you have on your head these, these things that we don't even seem to care or know about. I guess if you don't have hair, you, you care about it. But if you, if you, we normally don't think about it. But casual things, even curious things that we wonder about, God is sovereignly in control over it. It says in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lamp, lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This r- random acts, if you played games, if you played Yahtzee, or if you played any game during Thanksgiving or whatever games you play, God is sovereignly even control over that. He knows every decision from, is from the Lord. The, the, these random things that we don't even think about. God is sovereign over them. This is how God has revealed himself. When God has decided to do a thing, he does it. And no one can stop him. 
And he does it over and over and over again in in abundance of ways. All the things that happened this week, God allowed, he knew was taking place, sovereignly worked his will and is working his will in all of them. And there was wonderful things that happened this week. And there was absolutely tragic, brutal things that happened this week. And God still reigns over all of them. How the Bible describes it, the brutal things that stir us. God reigns. Over. This is why this is hard for us to grasp. But the beautiful things. God's sovereign. When teenagers drop, drop, jump into a car at 16, take flying off down the road, flip their car six times, and survive. That's the sovereign hand of God. God's sovereign. When you are driving back from Rockford with a bunch of teenagers from your school, you miss your turn, you slam on your brakes, and everybody else's car almost slams into yours. You almost take out your whole entire high school, like I did when I was 18. God's sovereign over all those things. God's sovereign when a little dog gets lost, as it did a few weeks ago, for three weeks roaming around, and it, it ends up back at its owner's Walmart where she works, and she finds it. God got sovereign over that. These, these little beautiful things. God, God cares about that stuff. He's, he's sovereign over those things. God's sovereign when we have the lady in our church stand up and say, I prayed in the morning that God would use me. I went to the park, because we heard a few weeks ago, and as I looked at the side of the, 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 the bushes, there was $12 and $2 bills hanging there. I, I picked him up. I started to meet this other lady. Then we start, our kids start playing together. I feel led to give her the $12. Then we asked her to share her testimony at the church. She shared it a few weeks ago. And as a church, then we gave benevolence offering because that family had needs for their child to them. Tuesday at Food Pantry, I'm standing in the line, and, and a woman, young woman who comes to Food Pantry all the time walks up to me and says, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. She goes, do, do you know Jess? I said, yeah. She goes, I'm the woman. I'm the woman that the church gave that money to. God sovereignly works in all these intricate, tangled ways that are brutal and beautiful all at the same time. And he's in charge of all of them. The things that we often can see, we understand. But the things we can't see, the, the, the whys, we don't. God is sovereign. Just think of Joseph and his life in the Old Testament. There's all things that he could see. He was loved by his father. He got this house. He got this coat. He was favored. Things were looking well for him. And all of a sudden, much of his life, he could not see why. Until the end, when it was all said and done, Joseph understood that his brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it For good, God is sovereign, God rules, but there is a struggle of God's sovereignty that we all deal with. There's a struggle with this. It's a hard hard truth, it's a hard attribute of God for us finite people to fully grasp. So there is a struggle, we need to be honest about the struggle of God's sovereignty. And it's one of the reasons why it's a struggle is we we are persistently pessimistic if we're we're normally. We look around, and we're naturally more pessimistic than we need to be. So we don't need to be surprised. If you struggle with the fact that God rules and reigns over everything, as we, the Scripture just described, and in your mind, when you're driving to work on a Thursday morning, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense to you. It's, you're normal. 
That's, that's not to be surprised. We naturally resist it. We, we naturally resist authority. We, we don't naturally accept, especially in our day, in our culture, in our, uh, our Western world, we don't naturally accept authority. We, we resist it. We don't want to be ruled. We don't want somebody else reigning over us. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. We want our kingdom, and we want our kingdom to, become, to come and our will to be done, if we're really honest. So if you struggle with the idea that God's sovereignly ruling, reigning over everything, when it really and it feels like matters, not when you're sitting at church on a Sunday, but when you're going through a brutal day on Tuesday, it's okay to struggle with it, but it's still true. And one of the people, the ways that we struggle with it, there's some certain things. The struggle of God's sovereignty, one of the big ones is with pain and with evil. If God reigns, if God rules, if God is good, and if He's over everything, then how do we explain the pain? How do we explain the evil that people are going through? How does God describe it? How does God explain it? When you read Scripture, the way God deals with pain and with evil is He doesn't dodge the issue. Don't let God off the hook. Don't, don't say, well, if God, God, God didn't really know it was going to take place. Or didn't say, God, God was kind of taken by surprise, but he can comfort you in the pain. That's not how the Bible describes God in pain at all. God does not take himself off the hook at all when it comes to pain. He says over and over that he's in charge of it. He allows it. He causes calamity, it says in Isaiah. When he, when he pulls back the rains on the oceans, tsunamis take place, is how he describes it. God never says, let me off the hook with these things. He, he, he says, this is, this is my will. I allow it, but I did not create it, and I am not the, the causer of evil. But he allowed evil. God is not tempted with evil. He does not lie. And God has never done evil. But God rules over evil. Acts chapter 4, verses 24, after the disciples were being persecuted. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, and when they heard it, they, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. They just got out of prison for being persecuted. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything and them. And then in verse 27 through 30 says, For truly in this city, in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, it was God's hand that planned and predestined that evil people would take innocent Jesus, brutally beat him, crush him, kill him, and put him on the cross. God did not, is not the, he is not guilty of that evil, but it says here that it was God's hand and his plan that he predestined it to take place. God doesn't hide from evil, he allows it, but he doesn't fully explain it to us. God does not do sin 
or evil, but he's in control and reigns over all of it. R.C. Sproul said, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. But there is not one molecule. There is not one virus running around free apart from the hand of God. He reigns over it. It's hard for us to fully grasp sometimes. There's mystery to it. There's, there's paradox to it. So it's, but it's good to struggle with. As long as we remember that we're not sovereign, God is. God's sovereign over all our questions and he doesn't dodge them. It's why the book of Psalms over and over again is bring your questions to me. Come, bring them over to me. So pain and evil is a struggle for people when it comes to God's sovereignty, but also this position in Christ. If God knows everything, if God's sovereign, then didn't I trust Christ? Or was it just something that was forced on me to become a Christian? It just denies my free will, people will say, if God's totally sovereign. Here's what I would say. One, just, just rest in what Scripture says with this. John 6, 65, Jesus himself said, No one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. Rest in what God says about how you came to faith. But also know human responsibility was needed. You, you put your faith in Christ. There was a response from Uh, Somehow the Bible uses both of these, human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. He calls them and he ordained his will that together they work. It's kind of like in a boat if you're rowing. I was with some friends years ago on a lake. I was in a, 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 um, a boat by myself and Teresa was with some friends in another boat and there was two of them in this boat, and I, I watched them keep spinning around, spinning around, spinning around in a circle because they were both rowing the wrong way, and they couldn't get it together. That's not how it is with God and his sovereignty. God's sovereignty and human responsibility, they work together. They row together. That's how God designed it. He doesn't explain it all to us, but that's how God designed it. And evangelism is a command. We're not supposed to say, well, God knows everything, so why do I need to share the gospel? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It was a command of God that he uses human means to reach people. But God is sovereign over all these things, pain, our position in Christ. And people then say, well, if, if God's sovereign, I mean, why pray? Paul, I mean, I don't show up on Wednesdays. Am I going to come out there? And why do you guys do it? Because God knows all this stuff. It's just, what's the point? Because God has sovereignly ordained certain means to be used. And prayer is how he designed it. He sovereignly said, I want my people to pray. I want my people to come to me. And in his sovereign will, he uses our prayers. We don't change God's mind. Prayer changes our minds much. But this was God's sovereign prayer to call us to pray. In the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God sovereignly over that, but he says, this is the means that I'm going to use. And then Jesus said in Matthew 6, he taught the disciples how to pray. And pray like this, he says. 
Prayer is what God ordained and called. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. All these struggles that we have with the sovereignty of God, it is a hard struggle. When we come to issues of pain or how we, of our, our faith or, or prayer. But God's sovereignly over them and he ordained these means and he says, he says come. But, but here's what we've got to realize. In, in all these struggles, when you're dealing with difficulty, here's the path of God's sovereignty, what, what holds these things together. God's sovereignty is guided by his wisdom and by his mercy. He's a good God. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable or impossible to understand that means. His ways. But it's his wisdom. Whatever situation is going on in your life, it's being guided, the sovereignty of God is being guided by this wisdom that is unsearchable and always right. And then also his mercy, Romans 15, 9 says, and in order that the Gentiles, those who aren't Jews, most of us, those in, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Everything that takes place for us happens in our lives. It's being guided by God's wisdom and guided by his mercy. And he's a good God. And it's his grace to us, grace upon grace, that the creator, owner of the world would care for us, even to us to let us know him. If you struggle with the sovereignty of God, don't get discouraged. It's not unusual. It's, it's a hard reality. But like Mark Twain said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Don't let the idea that God's sovereign say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to listen. There's, I don't understand that, so I'm not going to follow that. Because there's a lot of things that God clearly has said to you that we need to try to follow. But it's a struggle. But there's also great strength that comes in God's sovereignty. When we see how God describes himself and we believe it and we see it and we accept it because this is how God described himself, the, 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 the wall of what if, can come to start to crumbling down. Because what stops us from fully trusting God's sovereignty sometimes is, is the what if. What if God doesn't save us? What if, God, what if the car flips around six times and it's not the result that I want? Is God still sovereign then? Well, what if the job falls through? What, what if my kids don't follow after Christ? Is God not sovereign then? But when we see that God's sovereignty is filled with his mercy and his wisdom, and we accept it, it's humbling for us. It's a relief to us. We can trust in a great God, and it's comforting. Romans 8, 28, as much as it gets said, it's not cliche. It's a promise to followers of Christ, to believers. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because God has a purpose for the world, for people who are in Christ, this is a promise. That we don't just toss this out flippantly. It's a promise for us to hold on to. That we know the struggles and the pains that we're going through it's not the end. For those who are in Christ, he's working together for our good. All his purposes. C.S. Lewis in the book, his great divorce, said this. 
says, this is what mortals misunderstand. They say of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Well, well, something will happen in our lives and we'll say, no, I don't care if I got, if I don't care if great things happen to me. Nothing can make up for the hurt that I'm suffering right now. Nothing can make up for the pain that I'm suffering right now. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of temporal suffering, suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. This is not the end of the story. All wrongs will be made right. All evils will be turned around for the Christian. This is why Romans 8, 28 is such good comforting truth for us. As you go through the struggles, as you look for the sovereignty of God, and as you want to be comforted by it, seek to trace the sovereign hand of God. Seek it. Watch for it. Say, say where, where's God working? I know God's good, and I know he's working all his purposes for my good, and all wrongs are going to be made right. And as we go through our lives, if you want to be comforted, look and to see through the darkest, deepest, hardest hurts. Watch, watch God's hand. See if you can trace Oh, this is what God did. This, this, oh, this was better than I expected it to be. I thought this, but this actually turned out. That was a dark six years. But then this took place. This never, the, trace the sovereign hand of God because it's humbling, it's comforting, and it's unbelievably compelling for us to worship, even in the hard times. But what, what's it look like for a Christian to trust God and his sovereignty and deep darkness of the deepest pain that leads to worship. What's, what's it look like? About a month ago, the end of October, 20-year-old Nick Challies died. Unexpectedly, nobody had any idea what happened. They don't even know fully why. Tim Challies is the son of Nick Challies is the son of Tim Challies. He's a Christian blogger. I, I put a lot of the stuff in the Wednesday Word from Ch- I get from Tim Challies. And I've watched his stories. He, he's, he writes and he's written about their, their pain and their struggle. And I, he put a letter out a week ago, a month after they got the news. And I, wa- I want to read to you what it looks like and the real life of pain and suffering as Christians to walk through and to be humbled, comforted, and compelled to worship the sovereignty of God, by what Tim wrote. It says, It was four weeks ago on a Tuesday evening that we received a flurry of terrifying text messages, then waited through a brutal silence, then got the dreaded phone call. Our Nick had collapsed and had been rushed to hospital, but had been beyond the best efforts of the best professionals. I paused and asked the ER doctor on the other end of the line to repeat himself. I need to hear it one more time. You're telling me that my son, Nicholas Challies, has died, right? Though he was just 20, and to our knowledge, completely healthy, he had gone to be with the Lord. Then, as now, no one knows why. One moment he was playing sports with his friends, his sister, and his fiancée, and the next he was gone, just like that. Our lives were pretty much put on hold that day, our normal lives, that is. They came to a screeching halt and have remained on near hiatus since. Today, though, we are trying to take our first tentative steps towards a new normal. Today, in a sense, is the first day of the rest of our lives, our lives without Nick. We don't know how to live without him, but we're going to have to learn, aren't we? What choice do we have? 
Some difficult tasks await us, sorting through Nick's effects and cleaning out his room, dealing with the stacks of paperwork involved in closing accounts and finalizing details, writing thank you notes to the myriads of people who served us so well. They, they are our tough decisions to be made. In a few points through the past weeks, I've had to make a decision, run to the bathroom to be sick, then settle down to make the next decision. Our grief is not what it was in the first days. It's both better and worse. It's perhaps not as sharp and pointed, not quite as constant as it was in the immediate aftermath. Yet as the weeks go by, we come to a deeper realization of what we lost. We know this is an ache that, though it will lessen, will never fade entirely on this side of eternity. But we also know it will grow easier to bear. We will be able to go on. We will endure. We can do this and do it like Christians. I feel the need to say that in all the pain and through all the tears, none of us have wavered in our conviction that God is good and that God expresses his goodness through his sovereignty. Nick's death was not a mistake and was not meaningless. Even if we cannot see its purpose and the significance right now, none of us have raised a fist to the sky. Though each of us longs for answers, none of us have demanded them. These little bits of clay will not demand answers of the potter. In that way, and in so many other ways, I'm so very proud of my little family and so very thankful for them. In this way, and in so many others, they are passing through the deepest trial with their faith not only intact, but strengthened. I praise God for that. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem for times like these. God's sovereignty was not being tested. It was being seen. It is being seen. It's humbling. It's comforting and compelling. And we may not understand all the story of our lives or the lives of others, but because God is sovereign, we can cast ourselves on the one good and gracious King. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Know, believe, and trust, and rest in a good, sovereign God.